Leviticus chapter 8. The Lord said to Moses, Bring Aaron and his sons, their garments, the anointing oil, the bull for the sin offering, the two rams, and the basket containing bread made without yeast, and gather the entire assembly at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the assembly gathered at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Moses said to the assembly, This is what the Lord has commanded to be done. Then Moses brought Aaron and his sons forward and washed them with water. He put the tunic on Aaron, tied the sash around him, clothed him with the robe and put, on the, and put the ephod on him. He also tied the ephod to him by its skillfully woven waistband, so it was fastened on him. He placed the breastpiece on him and put the urim and thummim in the breastpiece. Then he placed the turban on Aaron's head and set the gold plate, the sacred diadem, on the front of it as the Lord commanded Moses. Then Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and everything in it and so consecrated them. He sprinkled some of the oil on the altar seven times, anointing the altar and all its utensils and the basin with its stand to consecrate them. He poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. Then he brought Aaron's sons forward, put tunics on them, tied sashes around them and put headbands on them as the Lord commanded Moses. Then he presented the bull for the sin offering and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on its head. Moses slaughtered the bull and took some of the blood and with his finger he put it on all the horns of the altar to purify the altar. He poured out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar so he consecrated it to make atonement for it. Moses also took all the fat around the inner parts, the covering of the liver and both kidneys and their fat and burned it on the altar. But the bull with its hide and its flesh and its offal he burned up outside the camp as the Lord commanded Moses. Then he presented the ram for the burnt offering and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on its head Then Moses slaughtered the ram and sprinkled the blood against the altar on all sides. He cut the ram into pieces and burned the head, the pieces and the fat. He washed the inner parts and the legs with the water and burned the whole ram on the altar as a burnt offering, a pleasing aroma, an offering made to the Lord by fire as the Lord commanded Moses. Then he presented the other ram, the ram for the ordination, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on its head. Moses slaughtered the ram and took some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear, on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. Moses also brought Aaron's sons forward and put some of the blood on the lobes of their right ears, on the thumbs of their right hands and on the big toes of their right feet. Then he sprinkled blood against the altar on all sides. He took the fat the fat tail, all the fat around the inner parts, the covering of the liver, both kidneys and their fat on the right thigh. Then from the basket of bread made without yeast, which was before the Lord, he took a cake of bread and one made with oil and a wafer 
He put these on the fat portions and on the right thigh. He put all these in the hands of Aaron and his sons and waved them before the Lord as a wave offering. Then Moses took them from their hands and burnt them on the altar on on top of the burnt offering as an ordination offering, a pleasing aroma, an offering made to the Lord by fire. He also took the, the breast, Moses' share of the ordination ram, and waved it before the Lord as a wave offering, as the Lord commanded Moses. Then Moses took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood from the altar and sprinkled them on Aaron and his garments and on his sons and their garments. So he consecrated Aaron and his garments and his sons and their garments. Moses then said to Aaron and his sons, cook the meat at the entrance of the tent of meeting and eat it there with the bread from the basket of ordination offerings as I commanded, saying, Aaron and his sons are to eat it. Then burn up the rest of the meat and the bread. Do not leave the entrance of the tent of meeting for seven days until the days of your ordination are completed for your ordination will last seven days. What has been done today was commanded by the Lord to make atonement for you. You must stay at the entrance to the tent of meeting day and night for seven days and do what the Lord requires so you will not die. For that is what I have been commanded. So Aaron and his sons did everything the Lord commanded through Moses. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Will. Good morning, everyone. Um, If you're here uh, for the first time today, my name's Carl, and uh, you've you've caught us in the middle uh, of the book of Leviticus. Uh, And Leviticus, uh, as we've discovered, as we've gone through it over the last five to six weeks, is a book about uh, what God was going to do through Jesus uh, and and what we've discovered over the last five weeks uh, as we've looked at sacrifices that God commanded the people to do. uh, We've we've got five pictures, uh, if you like, of what a working relationship with God is supposed to look like. Uh, We've had five pictures of how Jesus deals with God's anger uh, because of the sin that we've committed against God uh, and we've had five pictures of how Jesus can bring for us a working relationship with God. But today we're beginning a new, a sort of a new mini-series, I guess, in the book of Leviticus and we're going to have two weeks on the priesthood and we just read Leviticus 8 which is all about the ordination or the installation of God's servants, the priests, in ancient Israel. And today we're going to look at the ordination. Next week we'll look a bit more at the ministry of the priests and what it was uh, that they did. But let's jump into uh, the passage, uh, I guess, or or maybe before we should do that, actually, we should think a little bit uh, about what it means to be a priest. Uh, We need to get our heads around who the priests exactly were. Now, uh, in Leviticus, as as we've seen so far, everything is a picture. Everything's a picture of something deeper, a deeper reality, and the the priests are no exception. Uh, Will read for us earlier from... uh, Uh, Exodus 19 where God said uh, after he delivered the people from Egypt from slavery God said you're going to be for me a kingdom of priests. So the priests if you like uh, in this whole system that Leviticus gave the people the priests were supposed to be a picture of what the ordinary people were supposed to be what God's people were supposed to be doing. What was that picture? 
Well, over the last five weeks we've seen that the priests were the people who brought the offerings to God. They were the people who served in the tent of meeting, sort of the the symbolic place where God uh, resided. We've seen uh, that the priests got to eat some of the leftovers from the sacrifices. They got to share in some of the things that people had uh, brought to God and had, had given to God as gifts of generosity. The picture of the priest, in other words, is a picture of people serving in the presence of God and enjoying the fellowship and, and the communion uh, of God. There's lots of aspects to that. Uh, we'll pick up on one of them before. Uh, which, one of the ways which we serve God is by spreading the gospel. But the dominant note, I guess, of the whole priesthood, the, the, the overarching theme is one of serving in the presence of God and enjoying uh, fellowship with God. And so the question I guess that this chapter here uh, of Leviticus 8 gives us is, the question is, what is needed for you and I to serve in the presence of God? What is needed for you and I to serve in the presence of God? And and the pictures in this chapter uh, give us the answer to that question. Well, the first thing that the priest needed to go as we go through uh, Leviticus 8 the first thing that the priest needed to undergo was washing. Uh, look at verse 6. Then Moses brought Aaron and his sons forward and washed them with water. Now we'll find uh, out a lot more about water in the coming weeks and about cleansing and all that kind of stuff, but we've already seen a little bit about it in the, in the chapter so far. In the burnt offering we saw that the, the offering was cut up and that the inside parts, the heart and the organs, the internal organs were washed with water. And that was a picture of the fact that what God wants from us is pure hearts. In order to serve in the presence of God, what we need is pure hearts. You can't serve in the presence of God standing there thinking in in your own mind to yourself, I wonder when I can get back to my life. You know, you can't stand before God and, and be there thinking to yourself, I want to go home and look up some more porn. Or, I'm sick and tired of uh, my husband, I think I'm going to leave him, or or my wife, I'm going to leave her. You can't be standing in the presence of God and think, oh, that person over there is so annoying. No, to stand in the presence of God with a heart like that, with a heart not entirely devoted to God, is to invite the fury and wrath of God. When Isaiah saw a vision of God, he he said, Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. The slightest sin, maybe in our eyes, unclean lips, vile mouth, was enough to, uh, to put the fear of God into Isaiah. No, to serve in the presence of God, you and I need to be washed. We need to have pure hearts. But if you and I go home and take a shower... Uh, or have a bath, we'll still be the same people, won't we? Where can we find water that will clean not just our flesh and our skin, but that can clean the inside as well? Where can you find a bath that can change your character? Imagine that. Imagine having a shower that you could step into and you would come out a different person. Isn't that wonderful? Where can we find water like that If you want to know God and serve God, not just in this life but in the life to come, then you need to find water like that. 
Well, the second, things that the, priest, uh, second thing that the priest needed was to be dressed in fine clothes. Uh, in verse 7, Moses puts uh, stunning robes on Aaron. Uh, in that verse it says, he put Moses, he put the tunic on Aaron, tied the sash around him, clothed him with the robe and put the ephod on him. He also tied the ephod to him with its skillfully woven waistband so it was fastened on him. He placed the, he placed the breastpiece on him and put the urim and thummim in the breastpiece. Then he placed the turban on Aaron's head and he set the gold plate and the sacred diadem on the front of it as the Lord commanded Moses. And in verse 13 then, uh, Moses puts clothes on Aaron's sons. He brought Aaron's sons, it says, forward, put tunics on them, tied sashes around them and put headbands on them as the Lord commanded Moses. These clothes, particularly the ones that Aaron uh, was wearing, would have been absolutely stunning. Uh, The turban was sort of... Uh, had this gold plate fixed on the front which said holy to the Lord. Uh, there were gems kind of uh, all over it. Uh, there was this breast piece. If you go back to Exodus, you find out that this breast piece is woven out of a blue, purple, scarlet uh, and gold yarn uh, and there's gems mounted on it with gold filigree. Uh, you know, if you don't know what gold filigree is, you know, think of a ring and the little bit that holds the, holds the gem in place. There's this, these are ornate clothes that God had uh, sort of given the priest to wear. There was the Urim and the Thummim as well, which were uh, these things that the high priest carried over his heart and they were uh, used by God to enable the high priest to make decisions. What's the picture? What's the picture of all these fancy clothes? Well, the picture is of not just being washed from the filth in our hearts but of being clothed with the most extraordinary garments, the most glamorous and glorious garments that you could possibly imagine that would make a person fit for the presence of God. What, makes, what, what kind of clothes make a person fit for the presence of God? Here are some words from Isaiah 59 about Jesus. He put on righteousness as his breastplate. Or here are some words from the New Testament uh, from Colossians. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Here is a picture of what it takes to stand in the presence of God. It takes not just being cleansed from the filth and muck in our hearts and the evil desires but it takes being clothed with radiant godliness. It takes being clothed in perfect kindness and extraordinary humility and never-ending patience. It takes being clothed in the most extraordinary and the most all-encompassing devotion to God that you can ever imagine. That's why we wear clothes, isn't it? We wear clothes to make ourselves more beautiful than we really are. But if you put a suit on a pig, it's still a pig, isn't it? But where can you get clothes that change your character? Clothes that change you from a person who hates God, despises God, loathes God, and clothes that can turn you into a person who loves God with all your heart. Imagine if you could go to a shop and buy clothes like that. 
Well, God says in Leviticus 8 that if you want to know him and serve him, not just in this life but in the life to come, then you need to find clothes like that. Third, the high priest, also the priests were anointed with oil. In verse 10, Moses poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head uh, and anointed him to consecrate him, it says. Uh, after the sacrifices in the middle of the chapter, Aaron's sons are anointed as well, but that time they're anointed with oil mixed with blood. Moses took, it says in verse 30, some of the anointing oil and some of the blood from the altar and sprinkled them on Aaron and his garments and on his sons and their garments. So he consecrated Aaron and his garments and his sons uh, and their garments. Anointing oil uh, represents the appointment, the official appointment, I guess, of Aaron and his sons to serve God. What's noteworthy, what's significant is that as you go through the Old Testament, oil is often associated too with the Holy Spirit. So when uh, the kings uh, David and Saul are anointed with oil, the Holy Spirit comes upon them and fills them. The message of the anointing oil then is that what is needed to serve in the presence of God is not just cleansing, not just these robes, uh, these garments of righteousness, but the powerful enabling of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said to uh, a great religious figure who came to meet him, uh, a man called Nicodemus, Jesus told that man that if he wanted to enter the kingdom of heaven, he needed to be born again by the Holy Spirit. He needed to become a new person. He needed to become a spiritual person. But if we're God's enemies, which we are because of our sin, then how can we receive the Spirit of God? How can an enemy of God receive the Spirit of God? But if we want to know God and serve God, both in this life and in the life to come, then we need the powerful enabling of the Holy Spirit. The fourth thing that the priest needed to do was to make atonement No matter what kind of water they washed in, no matter what kind of clothes they wore, no matter how fragrant the oil that was poured on their heads was, they still needed to do something about their past. There were things in their past that needed to be dealt with. Each of these priests had stuffed up and something needed to be done. Aaron himself, the guy who's being anointed high priest, a few years before had led a rebellion against God where they'd cast an idol in the shape of a calf out of gold and he told everyone to bow down and worship it. Something needed to be done about the sin that people had committed against God. Something needed to be done about the rebellion against God. And so God instructs the priest to make atonement. Atonement is just a, a fancy way of saying dealing with God's wrath. Verse 34 says, What has been done today was commanded by the Lord to make atonement for you. So they slaughtered a bull, they slaughtered two rams, they poured out blood at the altar, the blood was dabbed on the ear and the thumb and the toe of the priest, I guess kind of as a picture of the fact that this blood covered this this whole person. It's the ear, it's it's the thumb and it's the toe, it's the extremity of the people. This blood, this atonement, needs to cover every sin that this person has committed. And it needed to be dealt with through death. Every single one of us here this morning has sin in our past uh, and in our present as well uh, that needs to be dealt with before we can know God and before we can serve in God's presence. And where can we find atonement? Where can we find peace with God? 
No bull or goat or ram can make atonement for our sins and soothe God's wrath. There isn't any justice in that because what God requires for our rebellion against him is our death. So how can we escape eternal death and still serve in the presence of God? Well, if we we want to know God and if we want to serve God, then we need to find atonement, don't we? We need to find a way of escaping death and still serving in the presence of God. So Leviticus 8 gives us four requirements for serving in the presence of God. We need to be washed. We need to be clothed with righteousness. We need the enabling of the Spirit of God and we need forgiveness of sins. But knowing all that doesn't really help us very much, does it? To just know what we need is kind of only half the problem. We need to know how we can get any of those things. And the answer to that question in terms of Leviticus 8, I think, is bound up in the relationship between the priests and the high priest. You see, this chapter is not just about the anointing of priests. In fact, it's not really about that first and foremost First and foremost, it's about the anointing of Aaron, the high priest. The emphasis throughout the chapter is on him and his sons are really just kind of caught up in that by virtue of their relationship to Aaron. As you go through the passage, you get this sense that Aaron's sons just kind of get what Aaron gets. He gets it and so they get it as well. Aaron was washed and so his sons were washed. Aaron was clothed and so his sons were clothed. Aaron was anointed and so his sons were anointed and together Aaron and his sons placed their hands on the head of the animals that were slaughtered. But you get these differences as you go through the chapter as well. I don't know if you notice that. So Aaron is clothed but the the clothes that that his sons get are not quite as fancy. Aaron had this turban with the gold plate and the urim and the thummim. But in verse 13 it says about Moses... Moses brought Aaron's sons forward, put tunics on them, tied sashes around them and put headbands on them as the Lord commanded Moses. The the clothes that they're wearing are nowhere near as extravagant as the ones that that the high priest is wearing. You get the same with the oil. So in verse 10, Aaron is anointed with oil and in verse 30, Aaron and his sons are anointed. But that time, it's, it's not just oil, but it's oil mixed with blood. So Aaron gets oil and his sons together with Aaron, get oil mixed with blood. That is, the ordination, what's going on? What's going on is that the ordination of Aaron and his son gives us a picture of the privileges of the high priesthood being shared with the high priest's sons. The picture is one where the privileges of the high priest are shared with his sons. How does that help us? Well, like everything in this chapter, sonship is a picture as well. In the Bible, sonship, son language works in a whole lot of different ways. One of the ways, one of the key ways, is that to be a son means that you do what your father does. So, in biblical times, if you were a carpenter, then your son would be a carpenter. If you were a plumber, then your sons would be plumbers. So son in the Bible and some parts in the Bible functions a little bit like the word disciple or follower. 
The son does what the father does. And the picture of Leviticus 8 is of God's high priest sharing his appointment to serve in the presence of God with his sons, with his disciples. Imagine then that a man could be found, a man whose heart was pure, a man whose hands were clean, a man who was dressed in the most immaculate clothes of righteousness that anyone has ever had. Imagine that a man could be found who was filled with the Holy Spirit, a man who could approach the throne of God without having to make sacrifice for his own sins because he'd always lived a life of perfect righteousness and devotion to God. Imagine that a a man like that could be found and that there was a man like that who was willing to share with us the very privileges which he had. Imagine that he was not, not only willing to share those things with us, but he was also able to share those things with us. Well, I suspect none of us really, if we know the Bible, have to imagine who that is. It's Jesus Christ. And you know what Christ means? What does Messiah or Christ mean? It means anointed. It means that Jesus is God's anointed high priest who can bring us to God. Jesus is God's anointed who can serve in God's presence and who can share that privilege with us. The picture of uh, believers in Jesus being his sons doesn't come up very often, but there are two really significant places, I think, where it does come up. One is in 1 Samuel chapter 2, and in 1 Samuel chapter 2 there's a, uh, there's a, there's a high priest serving uh, and his two sons are wickedly disobedient. Uh, and because of that, God says to that high priest and to all the other high priests who are his descendants, he says, no longer are Aaron's sons, a day is coming when no longer will Aaron's sons serve in my presence, but I'm going to raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do all that's in my heart and mind and I will build for him a sure house. God promised way back 3,000 years ago that he would raise up not a priest in the order of Aaron but another priest and not just one priest but he would build for that priest a whole house, a whole household. He would build for that priest sons. And then you get to Hebrews chapter 2, a book all about the high priesthood of Jesus. And these words are found in Jesus' mouth. Here am I and the children God has given me. Jesus is the man who can share with us the privileges of his priesthood. When he began his ministry on earth, Jesus went to John the Baptist. He was washed in the river and coming up out of the river, the Holy Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove And God spoke from heaven saying this, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. That was God's way of saying that Jesus is the one who can stand in his presence. And John the Baptist said, I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. That is, not only did Jesus receive the Holy Spirit, 
but Jesus received the Holy Spirit in order to share it with those who believe in him as well. The writer of Hebrews says about Jesus, such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the highest heavens. Unlike the other priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints men who are weak. But the oath which came after the law appointed the Son, who has been made perfect forever. What's the message of Leviticus chapter 8? The message of Leviticus chapter 8 is this. Our possibility of priesthood is entirely bound up in our relationship with Jesus. That's the message of Leviticus chapter 8. If you trust Jesus, if you follow Jesus, his offering up of his body can bring you forgiveness of sins. If you trust in Jesus, if you follow Jesus, he can wash away all the filth of your heart and clothe you with the most extraordinary garments of love and compassion and humility and kindness and devotion and love for God. If you trust in Jesus, he will pour out his spirit, the spirit of the living God, and make you fit to serve in the presence of God. That's the message of Leviticus chapter 8. And so I guess the question for each one of us is this. Am I trusting and following Jesus? Because if you want to know and serve in the presence of God, the only way, the only way is to trust and follow God's high priest. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus who even now stands in your presence radiant with holiness and full of compassion. Lord, thank you that in Jesus we have a high priest who is fit to serve you and to love you and to know you. And that in Jesus we have a high priest who is willing to share with those who believe in him the great privilege of knowing and serving you and living in your presence. Father, we pray that you would help us to trust in him and to follow him. And Lord, in doing that, to find salvation, to find peace and cleansing, to find garments of righteousness, to find the wonderful blessing of the Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you too for the truth that Jesus himself has been subject to temptation and so he knows what it is that we face and that he's gracious and compassionate and able to help us in our weakness. And so, Father, we pray that 
whether today for the first time or as we continue on in the Christian life, Father, we pray that we would approach the throne of grace, that we might find mercy to help us in our time of need. Father, we pray that we would approach the throne of grace through Jesus Christ to find forgiveness and the powerful working of the Holy Spirit. Father, we pray that we would approach the throne of grace that we might find salvation and life eternal. Amen.